Good morning. Um, cool. So, yep, parable of the weeds. Um, I'll just start by just reading the parable. Um, good place to start. So, parable of the weeds, found in Matthew 13. Nailed it. Cracked it. Yep, there. I've got the verses here. I'm like, yeah. Um, in my head, there was going to be a youth person reading this, so that's why I didn't practice that, that sentence. Uh, cool. Moving on. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Um, so when Nellie and I were living in Fielding, um, she asked me to build a planter box so she could get her garden up and running. Um, and so I did, because I'm good like that. And as I was filling in the soil, um, Nellie, in eager anticipation, went and brought all her veggies. You know the little plastic punnets they come in. Um, and I can't remember why, but there was a delay with me filling in the soil. Um, so in the summer heat, um, most of these plants ended up dying in the little pots. Um, eventually filled up the soil and replanted what was remaining. Um, and once in the garden, then all these plants uh, thrived, as they tend to do. Um, but a cool thing about gardens, too, is that when they're in the garden, as opposed to their individual pots, all the, the leaf litter that falls off or the failed um, fruit fall into the soil and become food again. Um, and so, yeah, we had an abundant crop, which was cool, and then when it was time to pull everything out and turn the soil, um, the cherry tomatoes in particular came back. So I hadn't planted any, and we ended up with more cherry tomato plants and then heaps more um, crop, um, once again inundated uh, with veggies. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So, cliffhanger. Um, today, Nick asked me to um, speak on a parable of my choice, and so I've obviously chosen this one, um, which is actually one of those parables that opens itself up to quite an exciting theological discussion around hell, um, which can be controversial, which is, which is awesome. So I'll put this out there. If you were to chat to a colleague of yours who possibly wasn't a Christian or, or just Joe Bloggs off the street, whom I've never met a Joe Bloggs before, even though that's the name. Um, John Smith, maybe. Um, I would bet, and you can prove me wrong, that the view they would think that we as Christians hold would be something like, um, we believe in God, and if we're genuinely good people, um, then when we die, we go up to heaven to be with God and the angels forever. Um, but if we don't believe in God, we go down to hell to be tortured forever, by or with Satan and his demons. Um, is that a fair conclusion of 
or popular belief. Um, the trouble with that is that's not what the Bible says. Um, yeah, so there's heaps of study that's gone into that, a lot of research. Um, and unfortunately, for me anyway, uh, that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Because <laughs> um, it's, although a chat that I'm actually really excited about and would love to have one day, it's probably best saved for when the pastor's actually present. So uh, <laughs> I could get Nick in a lot of trouble. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, as I've mentioned before, um, Jesus is a genius, um, and there's a lot more in this passage that we can, that we can draw from today, um, a whole lot more richness outside of that, that one topic. Um, so we'll get the hell out of here, and we'll move on to some of the other gems. Um, so three things, and then a conclusion, three things I want to pull out is, well, not pull out, first one's more explaining sort of how and why parables, um, and then two main points will be... Um, God and his plan for us, um, and then judgment or discernment um, in our lives. So, why parables? Jesus came, and he was sharing um, a very controversial message, um, very subversive, and it's a message that eventually wound up getting him killed um, because of how subversive and controversial it was. Um, so Jesus knew this would be the end outcome, but he still needed it to happen at the right time. Um, so he often shrouded his messages in these riddles. Um, some were much clearer than others. Um, but surely, I'm not alone, but have you ever been in a conversation with someone who has an ulterior motive? Um, so no matter what they, well, sorry, no matter what you say, they think something about you or something that you might have done or said. Um, and no matter how hard you try to defend yourself or, or explain yourself, they've already made up their mind and the conclusion's already set. Um, I know I have. I can't share here. <laughs> so, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry. So we actually see this in, in, the, in the scriptures with the disciples in particular. They were, they were so dead set on the fact that their Messiah would be a militant king who was going to come and crush Rome and, and free Israel from bondage, which they keep ending up in. They were so set on that, that when Jesus died, and no less died by the Romans, uh, they were just heartbroken, gut-wrenched. Um, even though Jesus explicitly told them on multiple occasions that it was going to happen, they were so set on what they thought was the truth that they couldn't actually hear the truth that was explicitly told to them. Um, similarly, with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and, and those fellas, um, they were trying to find fault in Jesus because obviously they were growing in their disdain. He was challenging their status quo. Um, so they were trying to catch him out and to arrest him. So when they came to listen to Jesus, they couldn't find something that would stick on a parable. Um, hence why Pilate, the head of both, said that they... He, he was blameless, right? Again, he, he was confused as to why they wanted him dead. Um, so their own pride uh, got in the way of their receiving the word. They were unable to see or hear the truth that Jesus was bringing us. We'll whack that next slide up for me. Um, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart which is the religious leaders of the time, 
has grown dull, and with the ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So even these enemies of Jesus, if they were to listen, he would heal them. And it's not God refusing them, it's them refusing God. So how do we read parables? Um, Greg Boyd, he's a pastor in the States. I, I quite, um, quite like what he has to share. And he, he talks about the Bible as a Rorschach test. So you know those paint splotches? And in the movies anyway, the psychologists use them and they sort of assess your mental state um, depending on what you see in those splotches and, and whatever you're going through supposedly means you'd see different things. So he would liken, sorry, he would liken that to the Bible and that you can almost find whatever you want to find if you're going into the Bible with preconceived ideas. Um, yeah, well, uh, there's a, a story I heard of this pastor in the States and there was a message, I didn't find it because I wasn't going to share it, um, in the Old Testament somewhere it says um, those who are killing children, I'm paraphrasing, big time by the way, um, if you're going to kill children then the punishment is death, is, is the crux of that verse, especially as a standalone verse. So this pastor of a church in America went to a doctor's clinic where they were performing abortions with a shotgun and killed this doctor and his daughter was with him that morning. Um, and then from prison, he was writing to his congregation justifying his actions um, because he went to the Bible with a preconceived idea and he found something that he could supposedly justify. So this is um, yeah, obviously a, a danger of, of ulterior motives um, when reading our scriptures. Um, I looked up some, ooh, sorry, skipping ahead. Nope, jokes. I looked ahead um, at the Global Learning Center. Um, I looked up some, some research, which um, was boring as, holy hecka. Thankfully, I did it at work, so I was being paid for that bit, because flip. Um, to sum up the little that I actually did take notice of, um, the point of this little study, at least the segment I was reading, was um, of all the communication interactions that we have, um, so speaking, listening, reading, writing, those things, I think that was all of them, um, as a percentage of time throughout the day, um, we as humans, in at least the fields that they, they were studying, which I think was several workplaces and some universities, um, as a percentage of time throughout the day, we spend more time listening. I think it was like 30 to 50% of our day is spent listening to people or music or, or podcasts or whatever. Um, and everything else was, was far less. I think in a couple of settings, speaking came close, but, but listening was by far and away our primary communication. Um, but yet all in all, we're not real good at it, eh? To be fair. Um, like the religious leaders, we might not be listening properly because we have uh, an ulterior motive. Or maybe we just tend to share our peace, um, which is much less sinister, but still pretty bad. Maybe we're not interested or we're distracted. Or if you're like me, um, maybe when you're tired, you're just real bad at it. So there's a couple, <laughs> couple. Um, pillow talk chat. Surely I'm not the only, we're not the only couple. So like, Often throughout our marriage, um, 
nearly now jump into the eternal light. I'll just carry on talking about the day just because the light's in there. Um, and then after a little while, I'm still listening, but then, you know, the heavy eye feeling? And so you're like trying to, I'm still listening and I'm trying to keep my eyes open. And then I'm like, hang on, the light's off. I can close my eyes. Nelly's not going to know. I'm still listening. So then I close my eyes and then, and then I just suddenly hear, are you listening? <laughs> and um, yeah, this is a true story. <laughs> multiple, multiple true stories. So um, the answer is always yes. And it's never a lie because I think I am. Um, and then depending on how convincing I am, I think, I'm not quite sure why, but sometimes Nellie will just let it slide and carry on. Other times she'll say, so what did I say? <laughs> and there are three outcomes to that question. One of them is very rare, and that is that I can actually tell her the last thing she said. Uh, the two most common answers are um, a very confident repetition of what I thought she'd said, which she had said, but just wasn't recent. Uh, <laughs> 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 and the third option is that I just draw a blank and realize I heard nothing. Um, so yeah, nothing sinister, but being tired, it gets in the way. Um, to help us listen, though, on a, on a completely different level, we need to be aware of the context um, that we're reading. Um, and this is really important because context, like punctuation, changes everything. So next slide, Nelly. Let's eat, kids. Let's eat, kids. Um, <laughs> punctuation saves lives. It's not the mistake you want the kids' pastor to make either, eh? Um, yeah, or uh, next slide, Johnny. So this is um, Ezra, a few years ago now. He's my son. You'll see him running around. He's the one that looks like Noah. Um, it's probably hard to tell because he's sort of got chubby baby face, but he's got two swollen fat lips, and he's cut himself there. There's a bit of bruising under his nose, and he's had a blood nose as well. Um, so the one fact I'm going to give you is that I did that to him. Yeah. Um, so if that's the only information you've got, you could come to a whole lot of conclusions about how that happened. Um, maybe I'm just an abusive father and I lashed out because he wasn't listening or he was being rude or he broke something special to me. Um, maybe I didn't lash out. Maybe he had heaps of warnings. Maybe I told him to stop and he didn't. Um, or maybe it wasn't malicious at all. Maybe um, we were just playing and, and I dropped him in his face. <laughs> um, my point is, uh, without context, you could come to a whole lot of different conclusions, um, and especially if you have an ulterior motive. Um, yeah, context. Uh, Tim Mackey, who's the founder of The Bubble Project, um, highly recommend. Um, he talks a lot about context in his work. Um, and he uses an example of a political cartoon. So I found one for us. Um, we get this, right? Like this is, this is straight out of New Zealand culture. Uh, it's very old, sorry, because my um, current affair in my world is average. And this is the first one I found. I recognize this, but it's old. Anywho, so... 
um, we get it. This makes sense to us. It's a political cartoon. There's a whole lot of unsaid and unspoken rules that we just get because this is part of our culture. Um, it's familiar to us. Um, the, the pun in, in the quotation there, Pike River, we all know the event that it's referring to, even though it doesn't talk about the mine at all. Um, so we get it. If, however, we took this picture in the time machine and we went back to the disciples and we just showed them this picture without any explanation, um, you get a whole lot of different things, questions that would be completely irrelevant. Um, they wouldn't, I would assume, they would have no idea that it was about a mine because nowhere, apart from in the quote, does it suggest that. The pun would be lost on them, which would be really sad. Um, what are they inquiring about? Um, where's the Pike River? Who's Tremaine, or, or why is that written there? Why does she have no eyes? And what's on his eyes? What's in the black room? All, all of these questions that are completely irrelevant to the cartoon, because we know the underlying rules. Um, so we get that, right? Does, I mean, do we? Sorry, speaking on your behalf. Does that make sense, what I'm drawing out of that? Cool. So then we take their book that they wrote, and we bring it forward thousands of years to our context, and we ask the same silly questions, well, at least we can, and that's the danger, and that's why that guy shot the doctor and ended up in prison, because you look at it and you completely miss. There's a whole lot of innuendo and, and the multiple languages that, um, that make no sense when translated literally into English. Um, off the top of my head, there's one, uh, what is it, when God is slow to anger, Literally in the Hebrew, it says God is long of nose, which is an idiom. Like raining cats and dogs, we get it. Well, I don't know why we've chosen that that's the phrase, but we know what it means. So to be long of the nose, if you literally translated it, that's what it says. How are you going to... So anyways, um, context is very important. So that's a, that's a Tim Matthew um, example there. Parables are often said like a joke, um, not all the time, but with characters and props and a punchline often with some key features that would be familiar to the audience. Um, so if I was to say, a man walks into a bar, you know I'm about to tell a joke and not a legitimate story. Um, so Jesus would use these common stories that were already part of their culture, um, and often he would invert them or um, tip them upside down so that they had more of a punch. Um, I've heard one scholar say that like the, the story of the Good Samaritan um, apparently was or could have been a common story of the time except for the Samaritan part. So adding in the Samaritan was the extra tip that Jesus um, added in, potentially, we don't know. But. <coughs> Sorry, I was freelancing. Yeah, so sometimes the characters were the point of the story, sometimes they were just props. Um, but the point is that we can't just take parables for most scripture at face value. Um, otherwise, we end up eating kids. Uh, figuring out context can be done by looking into the time and the place um, and information about the culture. Um, but when the specifics aren't available to us, um, one lens that I like to follow, which is definitely not my idea, some people much, much smarter than me, um, talk about the Christocentric hermeneutic. Uh, which is just a fancy-nancy way of saying if you are reading about Jesus, um, 
and it doesn't sound like the Jesus that you'd see in the four Gospels, then you've probably misinterpreted something. Um, the Christocentric hermeneutic um, runs on the fact that all scripture points to Christ. We know that as a fact. Um, so if you see something that's not pointing at Christ, you probably need to look again. So, with that crash course out of the way, uh, we're actually lucky enough with this parable that Jesus explains it anyway. So, next slide, Johnny. Um, yes, just a little bit down in the same chapter. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, sorry, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, out of this, I'm going to draw on my twelve points. Uh, firstly, God has a plan, um, and He's working it for our good and His glory. Notice how the farmer didn't plant the weeds, but he also didn't pull them out. Um, it's fair to say that everybody here knows that we're living in a fallen world. Uh, there are many things that happen in this world that make God sad. Some horrible things. Um, nations or ethnicities being torn apart, global horrors and tragedies. Um, but even on a personal level, relationships crumbling or addictions or loneliness. Um, these and, and more, sorry, these and other things are not what God intended uh, when he created our good earth, his good earth, sorry, our home. Uh, but as a result of the fall, um, we have let these things in. One of God's most praised attributes is his wisdom. Because although in our free will we manage to get things wrong and cause more pain, God's ultimate wisdom can still sort things out for his glory. Next slide, Johnny. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I've heard um, God described as the ultimate chess player. Um, he, with all his wisdom, can beat his opponent uh, no matter what moves they play because he knows any move that could ever be played. Um, even when life throws its curveballs at us that we're not expecting, um, God knows how to get us through it, even if he didn't necessarily want us to have to go through it. Other times, maybe God did intend for us to go through something hard. How many can vouch for the fact that when we're pushed to our limits or crushed to almost breaking point, uh, we grow so much and we learn so much and we're better for it. I recall a guest speaker at the church I grew up in, in Auckland, um, and he said, despite the cliche, God doesn't actually turn up right on time. He says he turns up just too late which is generally when we give up and finally let him take over. Um, and Nellie and I have definitely experienced this in our marriage, um, as I've talked about up here before. 
um, we look back at those times that were a blur and um, unpleasant, and we can appreciate with hindsight um, that we're closer now um, because we've seen each other's ugly side in full swing and we've got through it. We know each other's weak spots and we've more grace when we see the ugly behavior being triggered. What was a massive strain on our marriage and a wedge between us now allows us to manage each other's brokenness and help each other through it. God is good. Mm. Often we want to avoid the pain and discomfort, um, but we can't see the bigger picture that God and his wisdom can see. Um, take Eden, my daughter, for example. Um, whenever she would go to a birthday party, she would binge hard. Um, this is a bit from me. And she would always feel rubbish when she got home. Um, and so we did. We sat her down and we tried to tell her that it's all the sugar in the treat, and that's why we're feeling rubbish. But she didn't want to give up on the treat, um, so it kept happening, and this was a, a repetitive cycle in our home. She couldn't see or make sense of the bigger picture. Um, Eden didn't have ears to hear. Also notice the farmer wanted them to grow together. Um, like I said before, he's not always going to take the weeds away. Um, next slide, Johnny. So to keep me from becoming, sorry, context, 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 context. Uh, this is Paul, Paul writing uh, to the church of uh, Corinth. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of su the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly for my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So even Paul, who's you know one of the superheroes of our faith, um, still had his lot in life to work through, as it were. Um, and we have our lot in life, and we need to trust God uh, to get us through it, even when his plans don't line up with ours. That's why we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, so our own egos don't get in the way. One day we'll look back and we'll understand um, on this side of the grave or the other. But in the meantime, we just trust in God's wisdom. Which brings me to my second point. Um, and that is that when the servant's asked if he wants them to remove the weeds, he says no, and he explains why. But when it does come time to remove the weeds, whose job is it? Yeah, the angels. And as we read in his explanation... It's the harvesters at the end of the age. It is not the servant's job. It's not our job to determine who is in or out of the kingdom. Our job is to tend to the seeds. And Matthew, again, uh, when referring to the judgment day, um, Jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats. Um, and the sheep get into heaven and the goats do not. Um, but both parties are surprised by the outcome. Uh, the sheep are asking... When did we do these things for you, Lord? And Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Similarly, the goats ask the exact same question. And Jesus says, you never loved the least of these. Um, this passage, at least how I see it, is suggesting that even the individuals are surprised by the outcome of God's decision. So how can we then, as a third party, pass judgment? Uh, we leave God's job to God, and we make sure we do the job that God has given us. 
sin because it sins. How can we take the speck out of someone else's eye if we have a log in our own? Um, I like this passage because it's kind of funny imagery if you actually try to imagine that. Um, but it's lost in the familiarity. Like Sam said about John 3.16, you sort of you miss the punchline um, because it's such a familiar story. I reckon it would have been a cracker of a dad joke. Um, and it's a great passage about not judging others, but I feel like the end kind of gets thrown out with the bathwater. Um, next slide, Johnny. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you look at verse 5, Jesus still tells us to take the speck out. We just have to sort ourselves out first. And we approach this with humility. Not with a place from a place of power over, but in a loving place of power under. And this is the subtle switch from judgment to discernment. When you're in a covenant relationship with somebody, um, you've invited each other in to keep each other accountable. Excuse <coughs> me. Uh, to keep each other on the straight and narrow, as it were. Um, you are giving them permission to correct you. So if Nelly or Nick or anyone from my home group uh, was to see um, a contradiction in my life compared to the life of Christ, they are in a position in which they could address it. They are called to tend to the seeds that are in me. So if the fruit in my life do not line up with Christ, um, they are called to prune. But if I was to meet Joe Bloggs again, and he didn't know me from a bar of soap, or couldn't differentiate weeds from wheat, he might see the same issue in my life, but he doesn't have the relational credibility to make that assessment. He could be right, but he doesn't have a place to stand. Those types of interaction can cause more harm than help. And so I want to close with this then. Um, So where to from here? In a roundabout kind of way, I feel like this parable is calling us into community. God is a God of community. Even within his own trinity, he is community. He has created us for community, and even his Bible needs to be read in community. God has his plans for our lives, and he has jobs that we've been instructed to do. We are to tend to the seeds. But who are the seeds? Us. We are. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Sorry. I left it too long. Tumbleweed. Huh? Uh, we are the seeds. Um, we are to tend to and care for each other. Uh, we are not to take the weeds out. Now, we don't know what are and what aren't weeds, but we need to be in good relationship to be able to prune the plants that we're pruning. So when Nelly brought those plants home, they ran out of food and they wasted away because they were still in their little plastic pots. So I guess the challenge is don't just turn up on Sunday and watch from your little plastic pot. You can't survive like that. You need to be taken out of the pot and planted into the garden. Find a group that you can get planted into 
And this can hurt, just like some roots might get damaged as they're torn from the pot. Um, as you are vulnerable in sharing your past and welcoming people into your life, um, even in love, this can be hard or hurtful. Um, but Jesus takes your shame and pain away, and that's the very thing that will keep you alive. And just like Nelly's tomato plants, they, when I turned the soil and uprooted everything, they were so deep in the garden that they came back even stronger. When life knocks come, we're stronger for it when we are held together in the garden that is the community of Christ's body. Find your people that can help you with the specks and logs in your eyes and that will let you help them in the storm. And if you want to get to stuck into a group and you don't know who's hosting or whatever, we can, we can help with that. But don't just stay in the little pot and waste away. Choose God's community get pulled out of the little plastic pot, be planted into the garden, and let the love of Christ and God's community make you thrive. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that you have a plan for us, Lord, and even when we can't understand it, you are working. Even when it seems like you've given up, um, you haven't, Lord, and in your wisdom that we can't compute, you are still working, Lord. I thank you that you've created us for community. I thank you that we have this awesome place here with people that love us, that want to love, um, love us with your love, Lord. Please move, Holy Spirit, come and be in this people, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen.